So this is my brother. Um, he's no stranger to this um, stage, but we're going to welcome our own Charles Sargent all the way from the west side, from the Lundell community. Say, say, brother, preach the word. Amen. Be seated, please. They got the word. You know. Great correlation. Go ahead on. Don't act like y'all know that song. Y'all know y'all on the way to church. Praise the Lord. Hi, everybody. How y'all doing? Very, very good. Um, so there's a lot. So pastor asked me to speak uh, this past Text me on Sunday night or something like that and asked me to speak tonight. And uh, I went through a lot of trying to figure out what to say and all that. But you know what's stripped out is I have a much easier time talking to people one-on-one or off the cuff than I do presenting. Like taking my time and figuring it out. I, it, it turns into too much stuff. So um, I'm trusting God tonight, um, as I always try to do, right? So... I, I wanted to speak today on the subject of why the church, since that's the series that we've been in. And a lot of times you start thinking to yourself, why, so you say, why, why the church? Why me? Why the church? And sometimes you wonder to yourself, why do I go to church? Are you getting what you need when you come to church? Do you know what the definition of church is? Do you know what the church is? A lot of times we have false expectations based on the information that we have, and the information that we have is inaccurate. So we can't have accurate expectations if we have inaccurate information. So the question is, do you know what the church is, or don't you? I'm not going to put nobody on the spot, right? So often we come to a building, right, and we worship together. We get excited and we have expectations that pastor is going to preach us up under, up under the benches and we're going to feel good about it later, right? And we're going to go home and we're going to keep it to ourselves. And it, we kind of use church as a drug. We use it to make ourselves feel better a lot of times. But we don't understand that the church is not the building. Now, many years ago, historically, um, when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they had this thing called the tabernacle. Now, God downloaded all this information into Moses and gave him exactly what to do and how to build something very specific and particular for him. So it was called a tabernacle. And within the tabernacle, there was this box in the middle of the tabernacle inside this room called the uh, Holies of Holies. And this box was called the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant represented, and they placed things inside the Ark of the Covenant, like the Ten Commandments and things that was really important to God. They placed it inside this Ark in this box. Nobody was allowed to go in this room except for the high priest, right? If anybody outside the high priest would go in this room, they would be killed instantly, okay? The tripped out part is, it says, for know ye not in 1 Corinthians 6 and 19 that ye are the temple because you house the Holy Spirit. So the church has stopped being a box or a place and it started being us. Now the trouble becomes when we think the church is the building instead of the people. And then we stop, be, we stop becoming what the church is supposed to be. 
So God told me, he said, one very important thing that I want you to make clear to everybody tonight is take me very seriously. Seriously, because we talk about how important uh, the world, how important it is for the, are we important to the world? Do the world need us? Do we have the answers? Yes, we do. But often we don't know that we have the answers. The church represents God's, God's, not just, Jesus did his redemptive plan, but the church represents the, the culture that God is trying to transmit to the world. We're supposed to carry that culture on the inside of us. And often we don't know what that culture even is. Pastor, uh, please go to Romans 12, the first chapter. Pastor started with this verse. And if everything goes well, I probably won't get too far within these uh, passages of scripture. Because there's so much meat in God's word that I constantly am chewing on stuff and finding new things that I didn't see before. Y'all just pray for me, because when I'm at home, it can flow like that. In front of y'all, it's a little struggle. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Amen. So, in Romans 12 and 1, it says, I beseech ye, therefore, brethren. It'll come up in a a minute. I, uh, I beseech ye, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, Holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, y'all know me. I like to read the Bible slow. Okay, that was a quote my friend gave me and I'll never forget. When Paul says, I beseech you, first of all, you got to understand, Paul isn't speaking to Romans. He's a Roman citizen. And Rome is much like America today. A lot of our traditions, culture, the way we set up our government is based on Roman influence. Right? Uh, our, our, the brothers, the European brothers that started here in America, idealism come a lot from Vikings, uh, Greeks, and Rome. Okay, so a lot of our culture comes from Rome. Okay, it has a lot of Roman influence. So he's speaking kind of to us, and what it's, it amazes me of how much information and all the stuff that Paul has shared. He begs us. He says, "I beseech you, a guy." Knowing as much as he knows, doing all the stuff he did, talking to all the people he talked to, says to us, I beseech you, I'm begging you. By the mercies of God, the thing that makes God, the the thing that gives me the right to be in his presence is by his mercy. I don't have a right to be there, but he's given me the mercy and the grace to be there, right? By the mercies of God that I present my body. That's very important. This is very important because he's saying present, that means you have a choice. So often we're under the impression, well, no, I think we know, I think we don't take into account that we have a choice. And a lot of times we live our lives like we don't have a purpose. But he's saying present. So he's asking you, he's begging you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, the two words living and sacrifice are two separate words and they mean two totally different things. Sacrifices are dead and living is alive. So he wants you to present this body to him as if it's dead, but live for him. The reason why you need to think of your body as dead is if you remember, we went in the past and we talked about Genesis 1 and 26. Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Let him have dominion. Well, God spoke 
to man first in his spirit. He wasn't in a body. Your body is something that was created to carry out what he told your spirit to do. So often we live our lives based on what our bodies want instead of living our lives based on what the spirit has been telling us. It's the thing that keeps us from focusing and fighting. We fight with our flesh instead of being focused on our spirit. Instead of being focused on spiritual principles, rules, guidelines, uh, the way God would have us to live out our lives is based on spiritual principles that we're supposed to be implanting in the earth. But we spend all our time trying to kill off the flesh. And what he's telling you is, Paul is saying from the beginning, look, you just might as well go ahead and make this decision to kill your flesh now. Your flesh is going to constantly get in your way. It's going to show up in your attitude. It's going to show up in your decisions. It's going to show up in how you treat people. And the thing is, my culture looks nothing like their culture. See, their culture is very attractive, right, to your flesh. But that's the thing you're not supposed to be living by. So for him, he's like, I done given you something. I've, you, I've given you a tool. I've given you the right. This is how you gain access to the earth. But my original plan was to your spirit. So what I'm looking for to be activated is not even useful in the earth because you're allowing the thing that's a tool to rule you. Stop allowing the tool that I've given you to rule you. Instead, I need for you to access me to get back into the place where when we were one, we were mono, not mono, mono, we were one on one, where we were really close, where I can speak to you and our whole culture was different. Think about this. Before the fall of man, God walked among us. He was a part of our society. Now we exclude him from everything. We try to put him out of our minds, let alone allow him to walk walk around among us. He's trying to get us to think about, because if our culture really reflected him, he would feel comfortable walking around in it. And so often we want his results, but we don't, want to, we don't want him to influence what we do. We don't want him around. We don't want him to have a standard. In order for him to walk freely, he has to have a standard. He has to have a way to access what, so he can move on our behalf. So if I don't allow God to move in my life, if I don't decide to kill my flesh, I don't give him rights I don't give him the opportunity to move in my life. I don't give him the opportunity to move in my situation. I don't give him the opportunity to prove to me who he is. You got to lay something down to pick something up. So often we think that means, oh man, I got to stop sinning. I got to stop doing this. But it ain't even about sinning. It's not about, it's about the fact that the thing that feeds what you want in your sinful nature he wants you to get rid of your, that nature and that, that thing that craves it completely. He's saying, I want you to approach me with the attitude that I'm willing to let this thing go. This completely changes how you approach life when you, when you reorientate yourself based around spiritual principles instead of physical principles. So often we think like, oh my God, I'm giving up so much stuff and, you know, uh, it's so hard. That's because we've been so accustomed to living inside a culture. See, that, see, uh, oh, so watch this. So, so if you think about it, if you think about it, God created a culture that he wanted our spirit to function in. You know what's stripped out? What's stripped out is 
when God spoke to the spirit of man, right? He said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness, let him have dominion over the fish and sea fowls of the air, right? So then he commanded him what he needed. When he places man in the garden, right? He says, um, I'm going to take, uh, he, he speaks, he breathes into man's nostrils the breath of life. Man becomes a living soul, right? So he forms up something physical to have rights to be here. Then he takes what he commanded and put it inside the physical thing, right? So now the physical thing that has rights to walk along and be down here to give him access to the earth, he takes a part of himself, puts it inside that physical thing. The physical thing becomes animated and the, pot, the, the responsibility of the physical thing is to act like him, right? So that physical thing is going to work with the culture that's a reflection of his mind because he created this culture. He created this world. It's supposed to continue to, to, to make those things, to cultivate those things that's already here, make them better. So the job of the church is to get back in line with God in a way that he can access the earth through us by individuals deciding who are believers within the church. This is not a collective decision. See, everybody can't be in this decision. This is an individual decision. And then we collectively come together based on our individual decisions to decide to do what he said we're supposed to do. But so often we get caught up with never wanting to let go of the flesh. That's why when Paul is speaking to the Romans, a lot of a lot of times it's easiest to speak to the person who's a new believer because they're excited. They're ready to go. You, you know, when you know, when you not met somebody who brand new in Jesus. Now you brand new in Jesus. Don't let me discourage you. That's that's how we're supposed to be. <clears throat> Their expectation is up here. God is answering all your, your questions and your problems and he's answering every situation and he's answering your prayers because you know what God is doing. He's teaching you. He's teaching you that you can depend on him. But as you mature, you're going to see how he expects you to walk up and stand up. Like, so for example, when you got a baby, my wife pregnant, praise the Lord, right? We're going to hold a baby, right? Right? You're going to play with the baby. You're going to answer everything the baby needs as soon as it cries. But as the baby matures, it has a responsibility to stand up, to walk, to fall, to get up. If we as a church, we all allow ourselves to stay in the infant stage and God is like, anybody who stays in the infant stage, not only are they not useful, but something is wrong. They must be deformed. Something is wrong with their mind. Something is wrong with their heart. Something, and sometimes we'll, we, we will spoil the baby and hold the baby too long where, where it can't walk right, right? But see, God ain't like that. So we'll become frustrated with the development because we want him to keep answering us the way he used to answer us. But he's saying, I need you to grow up. He's expecting a church that is willing to grow up because he needs you to access the earth. See, he calls us the bride. When I look at my wife, I don't expect her to act like a child. I have an expectation that she can conduct herself much like me. That's why he's giving you power. So often we love the power so people can recognize us. He said, I want them to recognize me. I'm not looking for them to recognize you. You've forgotten your purpose. You got to remember your purpose. You're here for a reason. I'm not here to glorify myself. I'm not here to figure out what's important to me. I'm here to figure out what I'm supposed to do for him. I'm an ambassador for him, not for me. 
And if I put my flesh to the side, I'll get to what my spirit is called to do. When my flesh ain't there, I don't need recognition. Flesh needs recognition. Spirit needs God's dominion. Spirit needs God's appointed purpose to come to pass. That's what the spirit needs. That's why, you know how we always say, oh, that feels so deep. That feels so deep. It feels so deep only because it connects with who you really are. When it find, it's, your, it's your body and your mind getting out the way enough or realizing that you need what's, what's being said and it's shaking something on the inside of you. Because the truth is, what I'm saying is very shallow. It's the beginning of where we're supposed to start, what we're supposed to be thinking. I'm supposed to come here with the objective and the attitude that I'm going to learn the word of God so that I can go out and do what he called me to do. I'm not here so he can make me feel good. I'm a soldier in the army of the Lord. It, it, it doesn't, it's not necessarily always in my, always in his plan that I'm always going to be comfortable. I might have to be uncomfortable to get the mission done. When you're a soldier, you don't worry about, you have to learn mission parameters. It's not always convenient or conducive with what you feel like. You know, I think I shared this with the brothers. I don't know. I love James Bond, right? Especially the new one, Daniel Craig, because it's more realistic. You know, he get whooped and everything, even though he can jump over stuff. And, you know, some stuff ain't real. But he get whooped. If you ever notice, it don't matter if Daniel Craig or Jason Bourne is in a sweat box in India or if they're in a mansion in the Hamptons. They always have their mind on the objective. We start thinking about the mansion in the Hamptons and get confused with the objective. So we replace the mission with the Hamptons instead of keeping our foresights on the mission objective. And so often what I'm talking about today is so you have the attitude to even start focusing on the mission objectives. Because if you don't put your flesh away, it's going to constantly show up and tell you, instead of doing mission objectives, go ahead and look at Shatina right quick. Hey, T.T., how you doing, T.T.? You miss me? That's confusion coming into, right, what you're supposed to be doing. Right? That'll happen to us. Okay. Brethren, is that an alarm for me to stop? Uh, All right, praise the Lord. (laughs) Let me know. I know how to sit down. Follow instructions. So, all right. So it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto him, which is your reasonable service. So what's tripped out is this is what God says. This is reasonable. And what's tripped out is he never asked us to do anything he ain't done himself. So he said, I already sacrificed myself in ways that you will never have to do for me. So all I'm asking you to do is figuratively, in your mind, put your body to death. I actually crucified myself. Now, what's interesting is, me and my wife were talking about this, and she made a a fabulous point. She said, you notice that everybody had to make a decision, even Jesus. In that garden, it was hard. 
You know, because beyond just the physical pain, for once in his life, we don't realize how big a deal it is not to be in connection with God. We don't because we're born without being in connection with him. We start learning our connection through our parents, hopefully. But our our actual authentic connection has to come from our own personal decision, right? And so when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's thinking to himself, this is the first time in my life I'm actually going to have to go through it all alone. That's a big deal. We don't realize how much God wants to be there with us and be there for us. And he's trying his best to get us back into fellowship and connection with him. Amen. Amen. He says. This is acceptable and it's a reasonable service. Holiness is produced by your uh, uh, willingness to be sacrificial in your attitude toward going to God and giving it up for him. This will change everything in your life. It'll change how you relate to your children. It'll change your orientation toward life. So instead of you just getting your degree so you can make some money and then, you know, hopefully kind of do what you're supposed to do, maybe kind of. It'll be like, no, <clears throat> I get I got this job. How how can I position myself to be influential for God in this job? How can I be a better father in my household? How can I reflect God's heart? Because the closer I get to him, the more I realize I need him. And the more I realize what he's done is good for me. And I want all the people around me because I've been consumed in his love. I know there's enough to share and I want other people to share what I have. As a matter of fact, it's hard for me to be upset because I constantly feel his presence all around me. So anytime I feel overwhelmed, be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Anytime I feel overwhelmed, I go into my secret place and I encourage myself in the Lord. How can I encourage myself in the Lord? Because I know who he is and I'm standing on who he is, not what they say. And the only way I get to that point is because he reveals himself to me. Now, what's interesting about when you when you are willing to sacrifice yourself, that means I can start trusting you. So this is a trustworthy relationship. It goes both ways. So often we think in our relationships of how we can only get instead of give. So, God, we are supposed to be the bride of Christ. I'm moving toward him so that he can give to me instead of just so I can get from him. Right. So now I want to give to him. Now I'm learning how to conduct myself in a relationship based on how he's treating me. And he's loving and romancing me and showing me how I'm supposed to treat others. And he said, now do for me what I've done for you. Show me how to. I want you to reciprocate the love I've given you back to me. And then I want you to share it with the people that surround you. So the man of God that stays in the stays in the presence of God. Has the essence of God upon him has the attitude of God within him. That's how he conducts and handles himself with his family. That's how he asks when he speaks to his wife, he speaks to his wife how God speaks to him. His patience is a reflection of the patience that he gets when he's in the presence of God. His household reflects the the presence and the, the, the nurturing and the essence of God because that's where he spends his time and he creates an atmosphere based on the atmosphere he spends his time in. Amen? Now, it says, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So after you've decided to kill your flesh, you've got to renew the way you think. You've got to spend time in the word. So what's stripped out is the word of God is like our constitution. And even so the term world really, I, when I was a kid, I used to think it was synonymous with the earth, but it's not. The earth is the Lord's. 
The world is a governmental system of the enemy. Okay? So we spend a lot of time in the world. It's all around us. It's everywhere we go. It's in everything we do. And they're constantly feeding us information that doesn't look like his information. And so we have to be willing to let go of that stuff and start filling ourselves with his word so that we'll think the way he thinks. You can't implement his plan into the earth if you don't know his plan. And so often we're saying, come to Jesus, come to Jesus. And that's all we know to say. We don't know his economic plan. We don't know his social plan. We don't know his family plan. And if we don't know it, we're not implementing it. How can I implement something I don't know? That's why when you come to church, it's no games. Not just when you come to church, but in your personal life. It says, as a deer panteth after water, so does my soul thirst for you and hunger for you. I got to go home like I ain't never ate before and get this word. Eat it daily. It ain't just when Pastor Terrence shares. It ain't just when Pastor shares. When God is real to me, I want to know who he is. I want to eat from his table. I want to feel the drink from the cup in your hand. Let me hear your heartbeat, right? This love is so deep. That's the song, right? It's more than I can stand. I want to put myself around him, in him, and learn his word so that I can offer it to others. And not just offer it to others. I'm designing my life around it. Am I it? By the renewing of your mind that you may prove that which is good, acceptable, and the perfect will of God. Another thing that's interesting, the reason why you got to learn to trust God and believe God. Thanks, Spirit. The reason why you got to learn to trust and believe God is because is because his plan, I know the thoughts and the plans that I have towards you, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. When God started creating the world, he looked at everything and saw that it was good. So he looked at it and decided that everything that needs to happen, there's no better plan than the one that I got right now. You can't improve on my plan. Man is constantly trying to improve on what God has done, and we keep messing things up. Every time I turn around, I don't even like, I don't even watch the news. Because every time I turn around, you know, uh, it's hard for me. And so, oh, Expexion, try this new drug, right? And then four months later, it can cause heart failure. And then six months later after that, uh, you know, the lawyer's on TV talking about if you've ever tried Expexion. If you... You may have uh, you may have experienced blurred vision, uh, death. Uh, you know what I'm saying? So you find out this thing that was supposed to fix my headaches is caused me backaches and bleeding to death. We're constantly trying to improve on a system that already works. We have to when you feed your flesh. When you feed the flesh and you don't really get rid of it, it's hard to deal with. That's why, like Sister Audrey, I, I always tease her, but I really appreciate the death that she's put to her flesh concerning eating. Because your relationship with your flesh will completely change. You don't supposed to eat. I know, but, you know, struggling with it, y'all pray for me. You ain't supposed to eat because you're hungry. You're supposed to eat to get nutrients. Our relationship with food changes when your attitude towards your body is that it serves a purpose instead of it gives me fulfillment. 
Remember how I said it changes everything? So I eat because I'm hungry, because I'm trying to fill myself up, because it tastes good. A lot of times, personally, I eat because it makes me feel better, right? That sounds like something that I've heard traditionally ladies say, but it's the truth, right? I get in there like, man, ooh, I can't wait till I get home. I'm finna tear it up. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and we be eating all the wrong stuff, right? And then later on, we say to ourselves, Lord God, I got all these problems and I done produce all this stuff. Lord, heal me, Jesus. But see, here's the thing. If I would have put my flesh to death, there was healing in the process he put in my body from the beginning of time. The best healer of the body is the body itself or the one who created the body. So if you work with him instead of against him, you'll start producing things in your body that you never thought you could produce. You'll find healing that you didn't think you could have. The things that the doctor can't fix has already been put in the body by the creator. So often we stop, re, we stop referring to the creator for the creation, right? We stop talking to the, crea- the creator about how the creation should function, how it should act, how it should feel. We stop asking him how to conduct our government. Look at our government right now. Look at all the stuff that's going on, right? Because we stop using his influence and we only get worse. And so here's the thing. As a group of believers, as a body of believers, once we have decided, I have decided to follow Jesus, right? Once you decide to follow Jesus and no turning back, it gives me the opportunity to move next to you, become a part of this body that's going to function like a smooth running machine. Now, here's the thing. Here's the problem with being at church because there's so much influence that comes from the world. Like we can get into the history of the church and all that. I don't know if we got time for that tonight, but. There's so much influence that comes from the world and the church that the church can't never get to its job. So we start acting like the world and then calling it, oh, you just not respecting this or you just not respecting that. We allow we allow tradition and religion to replace relationship. And true revelation from the word of God. Once again, it's your flesh showing up. I don't want you to sit up here next to me. I have the honor and the privilege, not just to sit here, but when I sit at my dad's church or anybody church I've been invited to, this is my brother. He may have a higher position within the church or he may have a lower position. It really don't matter. We're both called to do something and it's my job to work with him. I'm not in competition with him, but I can't get that revelation if my flesh is in the way. How this man brings the word and how that man brings the word and how these ladies bring the word is totally different than how I bring the word. And if I constantly compare myself to how they bring the word, I'll never be the person that I was supposed to be within this thing. You ever think about how frustrated you get if your elbow just stopped working? So you might be a part of the church, right, that people never, ever pay attention to, right? So think about it. We got a baby on the way and you're trying to pick the baby up, but you can't never bring it in, right? Real talk, because your elbow don't work, huh? Or are you doing stuff like this, huh? Or you're going to be one-armed, right? Now you can't cook with that stiff arm. The issue is, is that I wanted a position that would give me recognition. And sometimes the hand don't tell the elbow enough that it appreciated for it to bend the way it does so it can access the things that it do with the ease that it does. So sometimes we need to take the time to turn around. Sometimes you need to turn to your wife or you need to turn to your husband and say, I appreciate you for being here because without you, it wouldn't be as smooth as it has been. 
Sometimes within the body, you've overworked one part of the body and you stop appreciating it. And then when it breaks down, you look at that part and start getting upset. But you stop taking care of that part the way you were supposed to. Just like when you start eating the wrong stuff that you weren't supposed to eat. And then my body started breaking down when I'm older and I'm mad at my body, but I wasn't mad at myself when I was eating that burger. Ain't that right? And here's the tripped out part. It's just like God say, don't do this and don't do that. And then we do it and then we get mad with the results that we get. So Brother Charles stood up here today and he told us how we're supposed to eat. He told us we're supposed to study the word. You know, I feel, I've been in church my whole life. I know I'm supposed to. Have you done it? Have you pursued him? I ain't talking about listening to me. I'm talking about pursuing him to the point that you're going to get results for yourself. Or you can say, I have tried him with authenticity and I haven't seen any results. I've yet to find somebody who's tried him with authenticity and not getting results. He has to be real to you. You can't walk off your parents' faith. You got to walk off your own faith. Mommy and daddy can only get you so far. You got to know for yourself because when you're in the room, I'm an adult now. My dad was a pastor and he loved me and he prayed for me and we talked. Now I have to walk in the rooms by myself. And just like Jesus, I have to call on my real father that's up in glory that can answer my problems. A lot of times I don't have the answer. I remember talking to Glenn. And Glenn used to, uh, Glenn Jones, and he told me, he said, I said, man, how you go to all these meetings with all these highfalutin folk, and you talk to them and know what to do and all this junk? He said, listen here. He said, a lot of times, you know, Glenn, cool. He said, a lot of times I don't. But just before I go in, I pray. <laughs> I do. I pray in the Holy Ghost, and I pray, and I speak God's word. And by the time I get in there, I know something to do. <laughs> and it always works out for my good. <laughs> Amen. So here's the tripped out part. Scripture says all things work together for the good of them who love him. But a lot of times we skip over. So you can't say that to your nephew who don't love him and expect all things to work together for his good. So you might be giving him a false word based on how you feel about him and not what God said about him. Now, God may feel how you feel, but he don't break his principles for nobody. You know what? God didn't even break his principles for himself. He said, I require a blood sacrifice that's perfect and I'll do it for my, I'll do it myself through my son and I'll watch my son die in order to redeem you the way I said it has to be done. That's how dedicated he is. That's why we can't just give up on our spouses the way we would love to because he hasn't given up on us that way. With all our brokenness. With all our backbiting, with all our uh, not forgive, our unforgiveness, and as much as He's forgiven us, as much, and as much as we have, as much as we haven't done in the ways we're supposed to do it, He's still there for us, and He's constantly saying, "Just learn from me. Just learn from me. Love me the way I love you. Give me a chance to show up the way I can." When Moses was going, um, when Moses was going to, he was going to do something and God said, you know, go do it. Moses stopped and he said, we can't unless you go with us. This was at a time when the children of Israel had messed up and God 
God had God's plan. His intention was always to give back to his people, always to be close to us. But because they had messed up, the, instead of putting the Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle in the center of the people, he had to put it afar off. And the people would see him go. And the symbol, the symbol that God was there was a cloud that would descend and that would show the people that God was in the building talking to Moses. And the people would come out and wear ornaments to represent. Oh, man, he's talking to God, man. We want him. We want him. But so often we say we want something that we really don't want. The people say, oh, we want to talk to God. And then when they went to the, to the Mount, uh, Mount Sinai and God trembled the earth and said, no, nah, you go talk to him for us. <laughs> we straight on that. We got to want God. You can ask somebody, do you love me? God says, if you love me, you keep my commandments. Where there's love, there's action. It's tripped out because a lot of times we may want to have an abusive relationship with God based on the world's relationships that we've had. So men of God, as an example, when you say I'm the man, I'm the leader, as an example of God, we have to be the example. We step forward in relationship and we say we're going to establish principles within our household that reflect our king so when she don't act right i'm gonna act right because what i'm doing is i'm setting a trend for my entire family so that they can live by all the stuff that's going on in the world can be corrected by the word of god i'm gonna tell you the truth the truth is we're missing fathers and husbands right If we are the bride of Christ, if we are the church and we're learning what we're supposed to do, he will re-educate us and give me a desire. I cannot imagine not being in my son's life. I cannot imagine. I always tell my wife, I can't afford. God's system is so cool. I can't afford to get divorced. Everybody who get divorced, who famous, they go broke. You ever notice? Real talk. It ain't smart. It's not a good, I'm not trying to put you down if you've had that experience that God knows. That's not at all my attitude, but it's not a smart decision if you think about it. So now, as a clause, we come up with something called a prenup, so we don't have to deal with the, 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 the repercussions of our choices, just like we come up with, uh, 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 what do you call it when you kill a baby? I'm sorry, abortion. We come up with abortion, so I don't have to deal with the fact that I done created a child that I'm not prepared to take care of. See, in his plan, I don't have to deal with that. But in my plan, I create problems that I don't know how to fix and I don't know how to solve. If I re-educate myself concerning the word, most of the, the troubles that I have, I will avoid. I won't have to see in my life. I won't have to deal with in my life. And I find it so important and so powerful that he says, put your flesh to the side from the beginning so it doesn't become a problem later. That's a word for me, too. It's not like I'm pointing a finger. I'm not pointing a finger at anybody. I'm just telling you from my experience being in church my whole life and seeing people as well as myself struggle with myself. Not able to get over myself so he can get in in my life the way he needs to be so I can get his results. So I don't have to struggle with and stress and strain. Coming to the last minute. If we start doing it God's way, We'll be able to start working it God's way. Now, in our community, you never hardly ever see unity. The only time you see us together without 
drama going on most of the time is at church. And even now, we have drama sometimes. But if we come here with the attitude of God, we can get some results that will blow our mind. I come to church all the time and I think to myself, how many brilliant people sit among me each and every day with so many skills, diverse skills within our church? It don't just have to be doctors and lawyers. It could be computer techs. It could be social workers. It could be teachers. It could be principals. It could be all sorts and manner of skills that exist here that have answers to the issues that we have. And we never even sit around and talk with each other about it because we don't think to ourselves, you know what? What is it like for us to work together and not just come here and so generally social with God and go home? The answer to our problems is service to him, focus on him, trusting in him, getting his heart, seeing the change within us that will produce an attitude that will allow us to work together. So the church is a group of believers, it's the individual believer, and it's a group of believers working together for the glory of God. Time up.